The second lockdown ended on the 2nd of December 2020. This sermon was preached on the 6th of December at St Mary's Dis, our first opportunity to be reunited together in church. Our readings were Mark chapter 1 verses 1 to 8 and portions of 2 Peter chapter 3. You are listening to a sermon from the Pilgrim Path with your preacher Samuel S. Thorpe. May I speak in the name of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. We have returned together in this cool, dark month of December to journey through Advent once again. Now, if you tuned in to our live stream last week, you'll remember that Tony was keen to remind us of our place within the Advent story, which is truly the story of the Christian faith, in a sense which is quite distinct from other seasons in the church's liturgical year. Most of the church festivals and celebrations look back to the scriptures to remember what God has done in the past whether it be the Incarnation at Christmas, the Crucifixion and Resurrection at Easter, or the Ascension, or Pentecost, just to name a few. Most of the time, we're looking back to the basis of our faith and the promises which God has made. At times, such as with all saints and all souls, we kind of look towards the future eternity with God, but we do so by remembering those saints of the church who have died in the faith of Christ, or even our own loved ones who have died in more recent times. And we remember the promises of the gospel, and place our trust and hope in them, that we shall join with all of the saints in receiving God's mercy on the last day, and dwelling in his eternal presence forevermore. Advent, by contrast, is a season which finds itself, as Tony reminded us last week, in the in-between. It remembers the promises of old, whether found in the prophets or in the New Testament, while steadfastly looking towards the future and Christ's return. This remembrance fuels anticipation culminating in a sense of what I like to call patient urgency. This tension between the events of the Gospel and the anticipation of the new creation is highlighted by our readings today. Our Gospel passage, the opening words of Mark, carries on the expectant theme of Isaiah and all the prophets of waiting for the Messiah to arrive by presenting the scene of John the Baptizer in the wilderness, acting as that prophesied messenger Isaiah spoke of, saying, Behold, I am sending a messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his paths. This, as Mark says, is the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Yet our second reading is from the second letter of the Apostle Peter, writing from Rome 
shortly before his death. Some have described this as his last testament, his final message remembering the events which he have witnessed with Jesus. For we, he writes, we have been eyewitnesses of his majesty, for he received honour and glory from God the Father when that voice was conveyed to him by the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, my Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice come from heaven while we were with him on the mountain. So Peter is writing after the events of the Gospel, remembering them. And then in the portion which we heard this morning, he opens by reminding us that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a single day. The Lord is not slow about his promises, as some think of slowness, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. It is in Peter's turn from remembering Jesus to focusing on this time of waiting that we discover ourselves. Many have asked the question, when will Jesus come again? And some have assumed that because the events of the Gospel took place some 2,000 years ago, that if he was going to return, he would have done so by now, and therefore his non-return suggests that the Christian faith is demonstrably false. Well, these words from Peter remind us again of the principle which is often found throughout the scriptures, that God's thoughts are not our thoughts. God's ways are not our ways. Indeed, we hear in Psalm 102, My days are like an evening shadow, I wither away like the grass. But you, O Lord, are enthroned forever. Your name endures all generations. Long ago you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you, Lord, will endure. They wear out like a garment, you change them like clothing, and they pass away. But you, Lord, are the same, and your years have no end. God's perspective is not the same as our perspective. And although we shouldn't take Peter's saying as a scientific formula, it's worth noticing that on the principle of a thousand years being like a day to the Lord, then the events of Christmas and Easter, of incarnation, death and resurrection for our sakes, may as well have been just two days ago. Something to think about. God is not slow about his promise, as some think of slowness, but is patient with you, desiring that all should come to repentance. Does this mean that we shouldn't expect his return for another 2,000 years, or maybe even longer? Well, no. No one knows the day nor the hour, not even the sun or the angels in heaven know. Only our Father knows when that day will be. And when that day comes, it will come like a thief, unexpected, unannounced, 
So no, we should not assume another 2,000 years. Nor should we be surprised if it were another 2,000 years. Just as we should not be surprised if this very sermon were interrupted today. Instead, we should embrace attention. We should hold on to this theme of patient urgency. The sense of urgency doesn't just come from the potential imminence of Christ's return. It stems from our obligations as Christians to, as Peter reminds us, live lives of holiness and godliness. We are not simply to sit around twiddling our thumbs, waiting to die, or for Christ to come again. We are to live lives of holiness and godliness. This is not an advice or a recommendation. It is crucial. For as Hebrews 12.14 says, Without holiness, no one shall see the Lord. So how can we pursue holiness in this Advent season, in the midst of all that has made 2020 the year that it has been? Well, in much the same way as the Church always has, through good times and through bad. By constantly committing ourselves to the discipline of reading the Scriptures, day by day, week by week, so that the words of Psalm 119 may echo true for us, as we grow from being those who ask God to teach us the way of his statutes, from asking God to give us understanding, to being those who say, your decrees are wonderful, I love reading them, therefore my soul keeps them. Reading the scriptures is a good discipline, Yet just as a healthy diet is incomplete without exercise, alongside hearing from God's holy word, we are to pray to our Lord, opening up our hearts to him, offering both our concerns and our quietness to him, so that by lifting our eyes from the world to his grace and glory, we might be strengthened and made more Christ-like in his presence. Treasuring the grace which we have received, we are also to share the gospel with those we know, so that they too might come to know Jesus as their Lord and Saviour, that they might repent of their sins, be baptised and accompany us with patient urgency, as we watch for the return of Jesus to bring about the new heaven and the new earth where righteousness is at home. And this is something we do together. John Donne was right in saying, No man is an island entire of itself. Every man is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. And so by being united with Christ by the Holy Spirit, we find ourselves united to one another, here in this place, in a common fellowship of faith. Holiness and godliness is something we each must do, but we do so together as the church, gathering to confess our sins, to hear the gospel, and to receive the sacrament of the Eucharist, which is the presence of God, sustaining us throughout our Advent vigil. For the Eucharist is the gift of God himself to us, even though he has withdrawn from us visibly and physically. And I've always found the words of Thomas Torrance helpful in highlighting the gift of the Eucharist 
for this time of waiting in between the gospel events and the last day. For he writes, I find it difficult not to accept the fact that Jesus envisioned a considerable lapse in time between his first and final advents, and that so far as the church's communion with him was concerned in that long interval, he gave them the holy supper that they might eat and drink sacramentally in his presence, proclaiming his death till he should come again. As such, it is wholly right and appropriate that we should gather whenever possible with patient urgency to receive the Eucharist, to thank God for the benefits of our salvation, won for us by the merits of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. For it is in this gift of salvation that we find hope, hope in the midst of a world which cannot give us peace. In this Advent, we are to remind ourselves that no matter what is going on, we are a hopeful people. For as J.C. Ryle once said, a true Christian has a good hope when they look forward. The worldly man has none. A true Christian sees light in the distance. The worldly man sees nothing but darkness. And what is the hope of a true Christian? It is just this, that Jesus Christ is coming again, coming without sin, coming with all his people, coming to wipe away every tear, coming to raise his sleeping saints from the grave, coming to gather together all of his family, that they may be forever with him. And why is a believer patient? Because he looks for the coming of the Lord. He can bear hard things without murmuring. He knows that his time is short. He waits quietly for the King. So let us, with patient urgency, receive the Eucharist and be strengthened by Christ that we might commit ourselves to living lives of holiness and godliness with a hope that sees the light which shines in the darkness. Amen.